Welcome to the Advisor Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. I'm here also with my co-host and friend, John Curry. John, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning to everyone listening in. And I, I suppose we should say good afternoon, good evening, good night, because we don't know when they're listening. Well, that's true, but we're doing it in the morning because we like to get up early and get things done. That's right. So, John, today um, I'm excited about this topic. You um, you brought this to me this morning, and uh, the minute you said it, I thought, God, this is definitely something we need to talk about. So, uh, folks, today we're going to be talking about um, the the noble profession of sales and why selling is a noble profession. And and John, I know you believe that wholeheartedly, and and I do as well. So, I'm going to let you lead us off. All right. Well. This is a tough industry we're in. Most of the people listening to this are going to be in the financial services arena. Uh, I know that many people have been listening because I've been getting some feedback, Steve, from people across uh, the Guardian network of folks saying that um, they appreciate what we're doing, they like it, and keep it coming. So what happened is just yesterday, I was talking with my good friend Luke Gunnels. Steve, I don't think you've met Luke, but he is a guardian wholesaler. Basically, he's a guardian retirement income specialist, and he works with other wholesalers across the uh, system that bring us annuity products primarily. And he was telling me that he's loving what we're doing from the standpoint of people new in sales, especially, but even experienced people. So what prompted me to go back to this is I used to give a speech when I would speak at professional associations in our industry for life insurance agents only. Selling is a noble profession. And it occurred to me that we need to hear this message again, but also you to interact because you're in sales, but you're in a totally different world of sales than those of us who sell life insurance, annuities, and investments. But the key point I want to make before we go any further is selling is not what you do to someone. It is what you do for and with someone. And I think that the reason that so many people fail in our business is because they look at it, Steve, as being a way, you've got my money in your pocket and I'm here to get it. And that's not the way it should be. It should be that that person is under your care. You're like a shepherd protecting his flock and you want to build your flock. Or as one of our mentors talks about building a herd and protecting that herd. So I'm going to pause there and get your feedback and then I'll go on to the next key points. Well, the, the word that comes to mind for me is transformation. We're in the transformation business and we transform problems into desirable outcomes for people. Um, you know, John, you do that with, with their money. We do it with their money, but in, in, you know, the vehicle we do it through is through their business and through their marketing um, and through their sales. And um you know, the longer that I've done this, the more I have realized that that's the fundamental job here is we're taking somebody who is in a situation that they're concerned about that's not optimal for them and we're transforming. We're bringing knowledge, <clears throat> bringing products, we're bringing our unique techniques and strategies, and we're transforming this area of their life that, that's a, a real problem and a worry for them into something that is now not a problem is creating an ideal outcome for them and hopefully creating joy for them and peace of mind. Well, let's talk about the key word that came to me when you said that is commodity. See what's happened is we, we in the sales world 
are guilty of allowing ourselves to be commoditized. Our friend Dan Sullivan talked about this way back in 1994 when I first started this program. And he talks about you have got to find a way to make yourself unique, have your unique process, unique method. You've got to do something that's different. You mentioned this a few episodes back in the sense that, look, people don't need us. If, if you if anyone listening to my voice right now, if you think that people really need us, they do, but they don't want us for the most part. But they don't think they need us. They think that, number one, they're not going to die. They're not going to become disabled. Uh, the government's going to take care of them. Now, will they voice those things? Hell no. They're not going to come out and say that because that would imply that they're freeloaders and, you know, uh, not doing their work, not doing the job. But they're thinking that. They're thinking that. And if a client were to be listening to this right now, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying, because you do not want to face up to the reality because it is painful to do that. It's an emotional pain. But from a commodity standpoint, when people think they don't need us, then they don't value us. So they go online and buy life insurance. They can buy annuities, mutual funds, whatever. And I'm of the opinion that what really separates us and allows that transformation to occur is creating value. So if you're making those folks, just write down the word value in all capital letters, because if you're not creating value where they say, wow, this is different. Uh, I, I, I want this. I want this person in my life. Now, how do you do that? We'll get into that in a little more detail in just a few minutes, because I think that is the key. What you're selling, we've talked about this before. If they don't buy and the fact they've got a problem and they want a solution and they think you can give that solution, you're done. You're done. No, they might still be friendly, but they won't. They will not transact. They will not give you money. And we are in the business. Let's be clear about this. We are not in the business of doing social work. We are in the business of doing social good. There's a big difference. We're there to protect people in the event of their death, their disability, and emergency and retirement. You know, as as I think about this this idea, um, you talk about value. Uh, a lot of people believe that, particularly in service businesses, that the only way that they deliver value is with the technical knowledge that they bring to the table. And while, sure, that's the probably the fundamental base level of value, if that's where you stop, then you are a commodity. Everybody else in the industry can bring roughly the same <clears throat> amount of value there. Yeah, there's maybe some differentiation between the guy that's brand new and the guy that's been doing it for 40 years. But you're going to deliver generally the same solution with generally the same result. Where I th- where I think people need to begin to think about how do I deliver value is it's in relationship, it's in confidence and, you know, and it's in leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because let's be, let's be really painfully blunt here. There's something called Google. Okay. And it's surprising how this thing works. Type in any topic and you'll have, you'll become an expert in just a few minutes. Because somebody professes to be an expert on every topic. They may not be, but the reality is there's not a topic in the financial side of what we do that you couldn't go look it up instead of dealing with me, Steve. Period. 
you don't understand how trust work, you go to how does a trust work, and it will tell you. So the technical side, I would say to you, is hey, John, the least. Thank you. thank you. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, now that you've told me that, I'm going to need to cancel our next appointment. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, good luck to you, and uh, I'll see you around town somewhere, Bubba. <laughs> now, I said that have fun. So what if someone tells you, I don't need you, I don't want you? What do we have typically, folks? We have rejection. We feel emotional pain because maybe you did a lot of work for them. Maybe you're expecting to make a nice commission, and now they tell you no. So you just gave me a perfect segue without even knowing it into the, my next bullet point on my sheet here. And that is you're going to have a rocky path from time to time. I still do. You know, <laughs> I've been this for 44 years. I'm the 45th year now. So I still have that. I have cases where everybody agreed to move forward and then something happens. But the point I want to make about the technical side before we leave it, if you hang your hat on being, quote, the technician in today's world with the technology and the social media, I think it would bite you. I think if you don't have the ability to ask penetrating, deep, thoughtful questions to where they realize that you know what you're doing, I think you're in trouble. I think you have to find a way. Whatever it is, you have to find a way to separate yourself from the pack, whether it be all of the TV ads they're seeing, whether it be all of the stuff that they hear on the radio, newspapers, it doesn't matter. You've got to find a way to cut through that clutter and that noise and get right to it. You gave me a book on uh, building a story brand. Remember that? Yep. By Donald Miller. I'm rereading that book and I love it because it focuses in on telling the story. And if you can identify that character who has a problem, become the guide that has the plan, tell them avoid failure to achieve success, you're there. You're there. And um, I'm, I could go on for hours on this, but <laughs> I, want your, I want your take on uh, some of this. So well, in. as you were describing that, um, you recently gave me a book by Nick Murray called The Game of Numbers. And I've been devouring this, even though I'm not in financial services. Um, and one of the points that, that Murray makes is that, um, and, and it was really kind of striking to me, um, you know, he says that, that look, there's, there, there's really only kind of one approach in financial services for people to be successful. There's, you know, four kind of fundamental variables there and we don't need to go into what they are, but um, you know, his point was if you're relying on having the latest whiz bang technical thing or the latest greatest product as the reason people should do business with you, you're sunk because that's not, first of all, you're going to get beat because somebody's going to have the next better product or they're going to be able to promise the next better set of returns. Um, but that's not really what people are buying. They really, you mentioned the word guide. And uh, I'll never forget, I was listening to another one of our, our uh, mentors, Dan Kennedy, uh, who's a, a marketing expert. And I remember being in this speech with Dan and he said, you know, the, the most important thing that you have to understand in your market is they're looking for a leader. Like everybody right. on the planet, from the moment that they're born, it's like they're walking around with an unplugged umbilical cord in their hand, <laughs> looking for a place to plug it in. They need somebody to, to lead them uh, in the areas of life where 
they're not an expert in where they don't have confidence. The truth is we all need that. The truth is, you know, you have a coach. You have a coach who's helping you in the personal world. That's why you've accomplished what you've done physically. You know, we, we all have coaches and we have a need for that leader. So we all have that umbilical. It just depends on what the topic is. We're looking for that. So let's come come back around to this this notion that sales is a noble profession. And, and I I believe that if you have, if you're a compassionate human being and you look out into the world and you see that people have a problem and that you own the solution to that problem, you have the knowledge, the wisdom, the insights and the tools to help them overcome that problem. Now, you can't force them to do it. They no. still have, you know, they still have free will. They have liberty. They have to choose whether or not they want to solve that. But I believe you have a moral responsibility to communicate the fact that there is a solution to this problem for them. I totally agree. And I think it's even bigger than that. Uh, the reason that life insurance, we'll talk about life insurance for a minute, why it has the tax favorable bill, uh, options that it does is because Congress has even said throughout history that it does a social good. Without life insurance, there'd be even more dependence upon the government to take care of people. So life insurance does several things. Number one, it helps people in the event of death. In fact, I wrote something down that I learned when I first joined this business back in 1975, the four financial hazards. They are dying too soon, becoming disabled, having a need for money for emergencies or opportunities and not having any, in other words, being broke and living too long. Let's break these down. Because some people listen to this may have never heard this. Or the old guys like me may have stopped using it because it works so well, they just quit. But I just ask the question, in the event of your death today, would anybody be hurt financially? Role play with me. Absolutely. Well, who would you be and I have worked on that, but yeah, <clears throat> we not worked on it without yes. a doubt. And that's why you're taking the action you've done is because you you have a sense of responsibility of your family. But obviously, in the event of your death, the people that you love and care about would be hurt. Now, if I have someone who's kind of like gruff, I'll say, you know, would that be your, your wife and your children that would be hurt? Yes. Do, do you care? Well, of course I care. I know you care. You, you work 60, 80 hours a week, maybe 100 hours a week because you love them. And you're telling them every time that you can't go to something, hey, I'm having to work. I'm doing it all for you. I'm doing all this just for you so that we can have a family and be successful. But you know what, Steve? They'd rather have you. And if they lose you because you die, now they've lost you and they've lost all the financial support you've been providing. You know what? Because you own a business, guess what? It's not just your family. Now it's your business family that suffers. Business may have to close. Those people are out of a job. Once again, do you care? And do you care enough to address it? Now, what if you became disabled? You don't die. You suffer a living death. A living death. You can't work. That's even worse than dying. You die, it's over. But if you're disabled, the expenses continue, but the income doesn't continue. In fact, the expenses grow. And I don't know about you, but I have been financially embarrassed. I've been in a position where I needed money, didn't have it. So my life insurance policies help me accumulate cash and then get my hands on for emergencies and opportunities anytime I want without having to go to the bank and beg for money. 
You've had to go to the bank and ask for money, and the the the, the loan officer treats you like you're a second class citizen. Why do you need the money? What are you going to do with the money? Well, I don't know if we can give you this or that. We've all been there. We've all been there. And then the last one, living too long. What does that mean? What if I live so long in retirement, because longevity is a serious issue now for us, that I run out of income. I run out of assets to take care of me. So dying too soon, and I, I have fun. I tell people, I don't know about you, but whenever I die, it's too soon. And everybody laughs. I have been disabled, fortunately not very long, not a long-term disability, but because of back surgery, heart surgery. So I've been out of commission, okay? And I've damn sure been financially embarrassed where I didn't have money and had to go to the bank and beg for it. And I said, no more. And then the living too long. Now I'm seeing the side of that because I'm now 66, be 67 in December. And I look at all the assets I've got and I go, I'm in a great position because of annuities I have in place to give me guaranteed streams of income, pension plans, life insurance, cash bags, if I ever needed to. I can say, hey, family, I'm sorry, but I'm going to use some of the cash values here to take care of me so you're going to get less death benefit. But I could annuitize that. So when you start talking about products and how technical and who has the best product, that doesn't matter. And if you ask me today, John, do you have the best annuity product or the best life insurance product? Because I don't know. Define best. Here's where I look at best. It's in place the day that you need it, when you need it. Well, if it's a matter of death, whatever policy you own on the day you died that pays, that was the best one. I've never had a widow ask me, John, was this whole life for term insurance? They don't give a damn. They're just grateful you're there bringing a check. I can tell you so many stories. You do this crap for 44 plus years. You got a hell of a lot of stories of delivering checks, whether it be because somebody died, they became disabled or they're retired and now you showed them how to have 20 to 30% more income. Yeah, that, that's what keeps you coming back every day. That's what keeps you coming back. It's powerful. I, you know, and I think for uh, anybody listening to this that ever thought they didn't have it all together and how they presented something, I think if they go back and get this transcribed, they'll, they'll have uh, quite the sales presentation. If that's all you do, if all you did, can I, can I continue with this for a minute? Please, yeah. So if all you did is take these four topics and you made four questions, and here they go. I'm going to give you a brief sales pitch right now. This is how I would do it anytime I'm with somebody that I'm not sure where to start. Steve, have you ever thought about the fact that you have four financial hazards? There are more, but primarily four. You could die too soon. What does that mean? It means you could die today before you have a chance to complete all of your dreams for your family and your business. Secondly, you could become disabled and be unable to work. You know, a car accident could take you out and put you out of commission for the rest of your life. Heart attack. I had one of those. So you, you just engage them. You tell them what they are. You could have a need for money. Like in 2008, 2009, the banks all of a sudden got tight. I have friends who had to went through foreclosure on properties they owned because they were overextended. Business owners who couldn't get money that they needed. Dr. Clyde, who came to me and said, hey, I need to do a policy loan. I can't, I can't meet my payroll. You know, hit the nerve. Make sure they understand it. Now, again, don't do it to just manipulate. Do it because you have a, a sense of responsibility, as you said, Steve, to take care of someone. 
And then someday, someday, if you don't die or become totally disabled, you want to retire. So when that day comes, we've got to make sure you have money to do it. And if you just use take those four points, you have you got a you got an hour or two hour good conversation. Well, and and you know I've talked to people who said, well, isn't that being manipulative? Um, and I, I obviously anything can be done with with good intent or malintent. And I, I the story that I tell them, John, is is a story that my mother in law actually told me. So. Um, I guess after after the birth of uh, their second child, my, my wife's younger sister, uh, my mother-in-law goes into the doctor and she had started smoking again. And <laughs> I guess hadn't smoked during her, her pregnancies or whatever, but she'd picked it up again. And the doctor asked her about it and she said, yeah, I'm uh, smoking a little bit here and there. And he pointed to those two little girls who were probably under the age of five at that point, maybe under under the age of three, and said, do you want to be there for their weddings? Because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not going to be there. And he got her emotionally engaged in the consequence, the future consequence of her current behavior. Let me repeat that. He got her emotionally engaged in the future consequence of her current behavior. And and that's that's something that... for human beings is is a really difficult thing we we tend to craft our current behavior around what how it makes us feel now without regard for the future consequence and if we don't get prospects emotionally engaged in in what that will likely be like and and i don't mean be you know i don't mean use hyperbole and hype and no, it's not necessary. That. I mean, that, in, in that case, that was a realistic and likely outcome, you know, that she was either going to be dragging an oxygen tank or not there at all. And that was the picture that he painted. Well, of course, my mother-in-law walks out of there just weeping, never smoked a pack of cigarettes again. And you know what I would say, good for the doctor, because here's the bottom line. I'll even tell you, if you're sitting across the table with me as a prospective client or even existing client, and you say, I'm feeling pressure, really? Tell me why you're feeling pressure. And I shut up. And the silence is like painful at times. Well, you're just trying to make a sale. Really? You, you really believe that? You and I know that's BS. What I'm trying to do is get you to do what needs to be done. Let's do this. Let's just project you into the future. Okay? Let's just talk about your future for a minute and your family's future. And then you talk about whatever the topic is, you know, educating your children, retiring, whatever. And then you come back to these four financial hazards. In the event of your death today, <clears throat> your family would not have that future, would they? The consequence of your death is all that future that you've been working so hard for, guess what? It's gone. It's gone. And for just a little bit of money per month or per year, you could ensure the most precious asset you have, which is you for the benefit of your family. So I totally agree with you. I, I do what I call the retirement rehearsal where I project people ahead. And I say, sit with me and I'm gonna project you ahead 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is that you see as retirement. And we're gonna let you test drive retirement. You can test drive it. You'll be able to see what's working, what's not working. Then it's gonna be up to you. Either you take action or you don't. Cause you know what? It's all about what you decide to do. It's your plan, not mine. Mine's in place. 
If I die, become disabled, need cash, or want to retire today, guess what? All four taken care of. I'd like to help you do the same. But mine's done. And you ain't getting my plan. You can't have mine. Mine's good. <laughs> a little takeaway. But I would like you to repeat what you said there because this is another thing that people need to listen to carefully. So define again what you said about the engage in a future consequence today. Say that really good. So part, part of what has to happen to get anyone to change, because as, uh, as I can't remember who said this, but uh, I was in a presentation one day and they said the, the nothing happens until uh, the, the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of changing. Right. So all we're all in the, the change business, right? Our friend Marjorie told me about that about three times because it's a couple of personal relationships, if you recall. <laughs> yes. So so you've got to get them to want to change. And that's a hard thing for human beings to do. The way that you get them to change is to get them to to emotionally engage. And that's I, I use that word emotionally very intentionally. They need to emotionally engage with the future consequence of their current behavior. And to me, that's really the job of sales. Yep. Now, they might have a negative consequence, you know, and and have a situation where they're going to be in trouble if they don't take action, like the story of my mother-in-law. There could be. A, a really, really exciting and positive consequence in their future. <laughs> I'm, uh, you laugh, but I mean, that's, I that's a lot. Right. I've got a story I'm going to share when you're done with this because I, you guys just happened uh, Wednesday, a powerful thing. It just happened uh, that will amplify what you're saying. So please. Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, a lot of, when we're dealing with a, a business owner, um, surely there are negative consequences of them not having great marketing. But more often, they have big goals, and they have a this you know really exciting future positive consequence of a bigger business and more income, and their family can do new and interesting things. And and one of the things that we we want to do is get them engaged in what that future will feel like for them, so that they can then take the necessary action today and put the things in place that that they need to put in place today to achieve that. So. Um, so that and, and you need to think of it that way. If you're all negative all the time, that isn't going to fit with everybody. And I think if you are negative all the time, they're going to throw you out. So who wants to be around a negative a negative person all the time? You don't. I don't. So how do you take this? That's great. So let's talk about how to take that and turn life insurance into a positive. Okay. And then I, well, I don't know how you could possibly do that because it can only be used after uh, I'm dead and gone, and I'm going to pay for it all this time, and then. Everybody else is going to get the money. Wow, Steve, is that what you really believe? And listen to their listen to say. They say yes because it's only going to benefit them when I die. Wow, somebody has not explained life insurance to you properly. May I do that? May I help you understand how this works? Educate. Here's what I do. If they're in my office, I bring up on the computer one of my whole life policies, and I'll have some fun. If I know you pretty well, I say, "Wow." I sure wish you had not told me that because see all the stuff I've been doing with my life insurance now, wow, looks like I've been wasting money. Let me show you what I'm doing. I just bring it up on the screen. 
full disclosure, I said, I bought this policy when I was 62 years old. It was a term policy. I upgraded it to whole life. I walked through it. Here's what the cash values are. Here's the premium. They go, you're paying $30,000 a year. I said, well, a little bit more than that. You know, $3,200 a month. You know, so yeah, quite a bit more. But here's the cash value increase every time I pay it. I walk them through it and they're looking at me and they're like, that's actually your policy. Yeah. You want to see it? I mean, I got the policy in the drawer if you want to go get it. But this is updated numbers, updated every day. And they go, well, that's a lot of cash in that. Yeah, quite a bit. This particular one, over 200000 Yeah. And uh, excuse me, over 100000 that one, 200 on another one. And I show them. And they go, well, why would you do that? Because this is the living benefits of having the insurance. If I wanted to turn this on as income today, I can't. So it's fun to get into that. And I know we're going to do a whole series later on life insurance, but since we're on this theme about the best product, I don't think anyone can say they have the best product. Like you said earlier, something's going to change. So if, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. So just don't say you have the best. Say, I have one of the best. And my job as the financial doctor is to listen to you, diagnose a problem, and then write you a financial prescription. Now, I could write a prescription today, and two months later, a new medicine comes out. Same thing with financial products. Same thing. Yeah. But let me share what happened on Wednesday. Uh, I had a situation where we were monitoring something for a client, rather large account, a million seven in one annuity. And we knew that on the anniversary date, we need to have a conversation about something that was better, talk about better and improvements. Well, the income increase was almost 20 grand a year more. Now, the truth is it would have been in my best interest long-term to leave it where it was because of a higher trade. And I said, okay, we've got to show this to the client. $20,000 a year difference in income for the rest of your life between he and his wife, one of them is probably going to be living another 25 to 30 years. Let's just say 20 years. You got to show that. That's $400,000, maybe a million dollars, depending on how long they live. So we, I called him, told him, he said, when can I get in? I said, my four o'clock canceled. Do you want to come in? He came in, asked a few questions, and she was a little bit concerned at first. She said, what's the negative in doing it? I said, one negative. You're going to have a brand new surrender charge for seven years. She says, that's it. I said, yep, annual fees are less but you will have a brand new cancellation period if you cancel. She said, why in the world will we ever cancel something this big and have to pay all the tax on it? I said, well, you may never, probably won't, but just be aware that if you do, it's going to cost you money. Now, what we then focus on was that $20,000 increase. And she said, you're not going to believe this. And she handed me a sheet of paper with the budget. She said, we were going to ask you to increase our income by about 20 grand a year. We don't need that until about four years from now. I said, well, there's your income. And she said, every year we wait, it's going to go up, right? And I said, oh, yeah, this is if you took the income today. So my, my point is, <clears throat> there comes a time when you got to sit down and show someone something that is, is maybe it's not even in your best interest. Yes, I got a new commission today, but my commissions going forward are going to be much lower. One quarter of what they would have been had we kept it there. But my client is improved. They're in a great position. I'm protecting my flock. I love it. Why I say that selling is a noble profession. It is noble because we change lives. I like your word better. We transform lives. We give people 
the things that they need desperately. They don't even know they need it. They truly know they need it. They just don't want to admit it. And because no, no normal, healthy person sits around saying, yeah, hell, I could die today. Hmm, maybe I should do something about that. Yeah, you don't think about that. You think about other things that are important to you. Well, John, I, let's bring this to a close. And I want to share this one thought um, that, and, and I deal with this a lot, a lot with the professionals that I work with, that nobody really wants to be a salesman. Right. When I say salesman, I mean the plaid jacketed tackle you in the front of the used car lot salesman, right? No, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be the telemarketer that's calling to bug someone in the middle of dinner with no value being delivered. Nobody wants to be the salesman that is only there to make the sale. And I think when you begin to reframe what you do, at least for the, the, and if you are that great, God bless you. We're probably not the right podcast for you. And, and you may want to go look elsewhere, but if you truly are in this to serve people and to do really well yourself while you do it, which I think is to me, that's the wonderful thing about capitalism is you get to do both. Then you get to be in the, in the transformation business. And, and I know I wake up every day and put both feet on the floor, excited to get going because I know that we're improving people's lives. We're improving their businesses every day. To me, that's fun. The money comes as a result of that, not the other way around. Totally agree with you. But I tell you what, I think our industry, and I think I got away from it. Occasionally, somebody will say, uh, you're just trying to sell me something. And I hold my hand up, right hand up, guilty as charged. I go, what? Yeah, I'm a professional salesman. You know what I sell? I sell people on changing their behavior so they get the outcomes they're looking for. How's your behavior? You know, what the hell are you? Are you a motivational speaker? I said, no, I am a financial salesman. So since you said selling, yeah, I do sell. But now you want know what I really do? My focus is on preparing for a secure retirement. How secure is your retirement? Do you know yet? Have you tested it? Would you like to do a retirement rehearsal? So I have the tendency, and I've been this way pretty much all my life. My mom and dad would tell you that I was a pain in the ass as a kid. But, but not a lot has changed. No, but if but if you push me, even in a sales interview, I'm going to smile. I'm going to do it gently. I, truly, truly, I will. I'm not mean to people, but uh, but I'm not just going to sit there and just kind of like, okay, I'm afraid to say anything. Just and and folks, we'll do a session on how to deal with difficult situations if you like. But just own it. Just say, look, I, I get it. You're fearful. You don't want to spend your money. Who does? You're you're afraid that I'm going to hypnotize you and steal all the money in your wallet and your bank accounts. I mean, trust me, I don't have those powers. If I did, I sure as hell wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be taking it from the IRS. <laughs> they got all the money, right? They got all the money. They're going to keep on getting it. Anyway, I know we've got to wrap up on this, but this has been a good session, my friend. And I appreciate your, uh, your uh, allowing me to go this path today because I just felt led that we need to talk about that the selling is a noble profession. We're not the bad guy, folks. We are not the bad guys. We're the good guys who go out and get shit done. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Love you. <laughs>
Yeah, this has been fun, John. Hey, uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Um, and we're going to be talking all about how to use social media uh, and uh, and how not to use it too. So come back for that. Uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, do us a big favor. Help us spread the word. Share this with an advisor that you care about. Share it with folks in your office, folks in your community. Uh, <clears throat> let them know that, that there's something hopefully good here that you're getting value from and that they ought to get plugged into it. My friend, great to see you again, and uh, we'll see you soon. Very good. Enjoyed it.